a very warm welcome to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale. The Posterity Podcast is brought to you by the Limerick Post, working in association with Limerick City Community Radio. And for this episode, I'm delighted to welcome on board Foot Solutions, who are based, of course, at number two, O'Connell Street. Foot Solutions have kindly come on board as a sponsor of the Posterity Podcast. And for those of you who don't know what Foot Solutions do, this is it. Foot Foot Solutions know that no two feet are the same, and that's why their goal is to work with you to understand what's going on with your feet and how it impacts your lifestyle. They help customers of all age groups, and for those who have specific pain to those who present injury or those who are simply looking for comfortable shoes, they have everything that you could possibly need. They use the latest technology to identify any issues that you might have. You can contact Foot Solutions at 061-404-849. Okay, so hello and you're very welcome to this episode of the Posterity Podcast. And again, thanks to all of you who've been giving feedback on some of the previous podcasts that we've had. We've had, I think this is the 10th we've done now. So it's getting good listenership and we've had some really interesting guests. And if any of you want to listen back to the podcast, just check on Spotify, the Limerick Post on Spotify, put all their podcasts up, but also if you search for Nigel Dugdale in Spotify or in Apple, iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or any of those providers that you use your podcast for, you'll be able to find some of the past episodes. And anyone with an interest in Limerick will find one or two of them interesting, I hope. And this week... I hope this will be an interesting one because I'm delighted to be joined in studio by our new Cahirlock of Limerick's Metropolitan District, basically the chairperson of the city area. And it's a person we've known for a I've known for a long time and um, relatively new to politics, but has a role for the next year to really keep all our city players in check. So, Olivia Sullivan, you're very welcome to the studio. Thank you so much, Nigel. Olivia, so tell me, the last couple of weeks, obviously it's been, we've come out of COVID and this must be a bit of a baptism of fire. Um, how have the first couple of weeks treated you? Uh, it has. Well, look, I got my first um, Metropolitan District meeting down in July, which is great because I am new to chairing formal meetings. So as you know, when I ran for election three years ago, it, I was a first timer and very new, new party member, new to politics completely. Um, so I'm obviously hugely honoured to be holding that title for the year. It's not something that my family, you know, I don't come from politics. It's not something that I would ever have aspired to or thought was in my future, but it's a huge, you know, it's a huge big deal. It's also a huge deal because I'm a woman. I, I, th- I guess the, the management of the meetings as the year goes on is going to be interesting because it's year four, which means it's going to be one year closer to the next local elections. So I am going to be, um, we'll see if things start heating up a little bit mm. <laughs> in the chamber. Now, let's go back to the beginning because you're, you're a city person. You're someone who's had a, quite a diverse background as well. And, you know, you've worked in, you've worked in, but I knew you in the sense of sort of the public relations, marketing side of things. Graphic design is in your blood. Um, where did you grow up and what, where, you know, whereabouts was your childhood based? Well, I'm a Cardavan woman. Um, so Cardavan was quite new, obviously 60s and 70s. It was a, a new suburb in Limerick. So um, my parents moved in there, but my mum was from Dune in County Limerick, in East Limerick, and my dad was from Drumcolour and both from farming backgrounds. And my dad was working in EI in Shannon and my mum was nursing in the regional hospital in Durand Doyle. So, um, so they moved into uh, Cardavan, yeah. In the I would 70s. never have given you the rural blood. You know, I am all farming blood, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm the um, we're the city cousins. All my relations, um, I'd say most of them at least, um, 
uh, I do have a set down in Clonakilty now and then and to be fair that they, they, they aren't uh, farming but we all do come from farming blood yeah yeah when you were a kid and you were, what school did you go to, by the way? I went to, well, Cardavon um, Primary mm. and then to St. Nessens. I was in Solutions for a bit and St. Nessens. Right. When you were growing up, I mean, the Olivia, the young Olivia, maybe 12, 13, what was Olivia thinking in terms of what you would have liked to have been when you were a big one? Well, I suppose... A f- I actually used to always read along to the news, which is a role that you play. I used to read along to the news and, and the news for the deaf all the time on TV. So I, I used to enjoy that side. Um, I think the TV was always, my parents would always have the news on. Um, and still to this, you know, to this day, the news always goes on at six o'clock. The TV's on for it at nine o'clock. And then at 10 o'clock, the local radio goes on <laughs> um, for the deaths and all the rest of it. So you know, my, my, I guess my parents, my um would always just have the local news on and then my mum would always be reading the newspapers at night and I think that's a tradition she got from her own mother out on the farm in Dune when everything would settle down for the evening my granny would take out the paper and start reading the paper and my uh, my parents used to do that as well so um, I used to read the news but at the same time I was out I mean I grew up beside the field and uh, you know where the greenhouse hotel is in the green area there I spent most of my childhood on that um, I would have played camogie in primary school and then played basketball in secondary school and would have been active on that field and we had you know the Ennis Road playgrounds at the time we had the um, swimming pools in the Ennis Road the outdoor pools um, on the Greenhills field there was uh, an outdoor basketball pitch and there was uh, gravelly and they'd cut your knees open but there was a tennis courts there all open free to use so I would have spent most of my childhood outside. And uh, so obviously the extrovert was in you I mean there was something in you you, you were you were looking at probably at that time then you were thinking media journalism. Well no now I say I was reading along to the news because I just have vivid memories of it I think there was another part of me that used to say I wanted to be a lorry driver and you know most random I was a curious child I don't think I was a huge extrovert um um, actually, I met someone who, 30 years ago, this summer, actually, I started working my first job in the Two Mile Inn Hotel. So making Irish coffees for the tourists, um, serving dinners for weddings um, behind the bar. It was, a, it was called Poldark, so it's yeah. God, 30 years ago now. I'm trying to get the brain going there, the memory bank. But the um, Kitty, O'Br- Kitty O'Brien's, not Kitty, Kitty O'Brien's. Kitty O'Brien's, Kitty O'Brien's, Kitty O'Brien's, O'Brien's at the front. Yes, yeah, the bar there. So I would have worked for all the the various gigs that were happening there at the time and then UL used to bust students out and there used to be events so I'd be working for those and so, and loads of gigs you know the frames played there and the pale pit played there and um, I don't know I saw loads of bands there I would have been working for them but loved it because I was in primary in, sorry in secondary school at that stage um, so I was in maybe fifth year and um, so I, was, I was going to school the next day and telling people that I'd been at you know the Sutton's of Ping the night before. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> you were the gig goer at a young age. Yeah, I loved age. it. That um, was my scene. Then it was nineties. It was grunge, you know. Yeah. So it was. We'd go into um, town with my pals on a Saturday, and we'd go into Quinns. And yeah, what was the city of your child? Because I mean, I remember, and we're probably of the similar age. You know, it was sort of. The city was the destination and there was a lot, it probably still is for a lot of people, but there was a sense that you, it, there were places you had to go. Where was your spots? Well, we, we went to, I, I was into that kind of grunge scene, as I said, you know, we used to go to termites um, at the club when I was a little older or, or pretending to be, I don't know, but um, we would, like we were shopping in the secondhand stores, so the Modesty and the Edge and um, going to going to termites. Um, God, yeah, getting glasses of Guinness of Blackcurrant and... <laughs> which seems like much more innocent times then. But um, the, yeah, it was a different scene. Quinn's was a big deal, the vintage club, Quinn's, you know, on Allen Street and 
There's a lot of little venues around. I mean, I worked in bars for years. Um, in, in so I was in hospitality. That yeah, side you of were on the social scene for a long time. No, you but, were, you were no, but before that, I oh, was. Really? Okay. I was. I was a more. I was an observer. Like I was behind. Mm. So I would have worked in. Um, besides the two mile in, I was there for a couple of years. Then when I left school, I would have worked in the works. I worked in um, Sharkies, which is a theatre club, great live music venue. Um, around the corner from Theatre Royal, and we used to go there all the time. I worked in Bigger Place. I worked in the Newtown Perry. I worked in uh, the Savoy, um, in the work. So I said that I lived in Savoy apartments. You know, I, I, I it's really I was interesting. For a, long a lot time of there. the places, in fact, nearly every one of those places you mentioned do not exist no, anymore. No, it was and a they different, were it was a different time. And they had something, didn't they? And you know, you wonder. Mm. But um, but yeah, I mean, you look back at some of those venues. Now, having said that, we've got some amazing venues that have come up. Oh, we after do absolutely. That. And look, I mean, the the commercial is now across the road from where um, the theatre club was. Or a lot of people would have known it as Sharkies. So, and there was always um, that was Daffy's before, but before that again, there was always live music happening there as well. So the legacy, I suppose, continues, continues. at that side of town. But. Um, God, it was great. I mean, I, I can't remember what age I was at that stage, but you had, you know, Brian O'Connor and the Healy brothers and they're, they're still playing music around town. Um, and um, God, when I think back to those great bands mm. um, and live Mike Knight. And Plus Change, you know, Open Limerick continues to pump that out Absolutely. and, you know, just maybe a little bit younger now and people that are older are letting well, maybe them we're have the a bit older. We're not as clear, you know, I mean, because music, um, music is always happening around us and Limerick's always been really strong for us but as you get a little older and you, you get a bit more busier in your life you, it's hard to make as much time for it so when you were that. when you were going to um, when you were thinking college days and when you were thinking of finishing leaving cert what was your kind of CIO CAO decisions my CEO decisions were bad decisions because I um, I really wanted to follow my friends to Cork so I put Cork decisions ahead and I should have put down English and French and Mary I as my number one and I would have got it, but I didn't because I put, I loaded the Cork courses at the top because um, they were, they were subjects that I would have been um, best at. And then I ended up making some wrong decisions. So I tried, um, <laughs> I tried, I went to CIT doing computers, computer architecture and German. <laughs> and it was a really bad idea because I was good at languages, but there was only one hour of German in the week and everything else was computer architecture. And was that and purely to get to Cork? Just to get to what, Cork. What was the attraction Absolutely. there? I just wanted to go to Cork. You that just wanted it. to get yeah. out of Limerick? Absolutely. Well, just my friends were going. Yeah. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was just a thing. It was a bad, a bad move. But anyway, I lasted about six months there. I even worked in a pub down there actually at the time. I mean, yeah. I obviously wasn't as focused when I see how focused some people are in comparison. That was not me at the There's time. There's nothing no. wrong with it. Um, I, I also, you know, I, I worked since I was 16. I was used to having a few quid in my back pocket and um, I wasn't afraid of hard work. So <laughs> I was fine to go out and earn money. I wanted to live my life. And I obviously had a taste of life too, because I, you know, when you're working all the time in, um, whether it was live music venues or whether it was nightclubs, you know, I'd seen that side of life. And I watch some of the guys now who work in the bars here. I know a few of them and, you know, you, you can see that they, I'm not on that scene much anymore, but you can see they know everything. They know where's where, who's who. And, you know, I, mean, I like to keep my finger Absolutely. on the pulse, but my God, they And you do. also get to know everyone. They might know you, but you'd know them. I know a lot of people, I'd know a lot of faces of people around town who wouldn't know me, but I would know them because I, if I, if you're, if you're working somewhere and they're in a regular basis, you get to know people, you know, because mm. you're the sober one behind the bar. <laughs> um, just on that, so when you, that, that six months that you lasted, did you then come home to Limerick? Oh, I came back to Limerick, yeah. Okay. Mm. I want to ask a question just on, in relation to that, because I've noticed with some friends of mine, when I talk to them, 
and I think back and, you know, we came out of art school and then the minute I finished in art school, I headed to Dublin to do drama in Trinity. I was lucky I got a place in Trinity and went off and I was 13 years away. And quite a number of my friends haven't done that. They may have done that sort of go to Australia for a couple of months or do the, um, the J1s, but their lives have been predominantly based in Limerick and then Kilkee during the summers. And I often wonder, you know, is it good for people to get out of this place to come back with a better understanding of where we could go to? It is, but you can do that through travel as much as having to, you know, going living mm-hmm. somewhere. I, I'm sure the experience of living away is fantastic. I'm a, I'm, I am a home bird. Right. You know, I, I was quite content. And now I, I traveled loads um, and always loved going to, you know, to see other cities and so on. But and it's, you know, and, and we do need people to travel and we do need people to bring back ideas from elsewhere. It's very important. We can't just, uh, otherwise we'll stagnate in, mm. in, in, in the familiar, I suppose. But, um, but where did the graphic design okay, and the whole so marketing tell you, stuff? Around, um, I, I was working for, so I'd, I'd worked in lots of different um, pubs and clubs and so on like that. And then I got, I decided that I would move out of that and I went working for AST Computers. So that was um, before Dell. And after Wang in that building in where Troy Studios is now was AST Computers. So I worked there and I was working in the quality department and I was um, part of a team who sampled, who took a 17% sample of all the product that was going out the door and we tested it. And if there was something wrong with it, we hit a buzzer and a big red alarm went off over whatever line had made it. I don't think we were very popular, <laughs> but so I was doing that. And then um, it was I, 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 the 1996, I remember this year, um, Webster's Internet Cafe was opening on Thomas Street. I remember. And yeah, and so that was the first internet cafe to open outside of Dublin. It was a big deal at the time. And um, the guys that were opening it knew that I worked in AST Computers and we had, uh, they, we'd mutual friends. Or So they asked me, would I be interested in working there? So I left my job in AST and I went working for Webster's Internet Cafe, which was where um, Cockpool is now, mm. you know. And uh, so then I was, uh, that was it. I was into Thomas Street and started working for Webster's. And then I was doing also was like working in the cafe. And then of course we, there was no internet in schools then. there was no internet anywhere. So we had, we were bringing secondary schools in. So we used to teach the secondary school students how to, um, log how on. to log on, how to, this is <laughs> the browser, this is your yeah. email, everything, yeah. the whole thing. Well, no dial tone now, we were better than that. So the guys uh, who were running it now, Shane Hartigan and Ian Ross, you know, they knew what they were at. So the system was great. And there was loads of um, gaming. There were all little PCs sitting around, but there was, you know, people coming in to play gaming with pints from the Newtown Perry next door. Mm. Like it was a very different scene. Um, but uh, we did a lot of training there. And then um, the guys set up Webster's Internet training as well. So we actually had um, a lot of classes. So I used to teach evening classes and just got into computers that way. Um, and then I remember coming back from, I did computers. So I went then to LIT. I was always doing courses because I'm just curious by nature. I went to LIT and I did this thing called the systems analysis and design back to computers, which I'd hated so much. Mm. And I went to Cork, but I did it for two years out there. I actually really didn't like it by the end of it because I'd moved on. But, but I went working for John Stapleton auctioneers when he was opening up and they were setting up John Stapleton auctioneers and wanted someone to come and be the, run the office. Mm. And we got the office all set up and so on. And then I was finished my course in, um, LIT. I remember walking back in from my exam, um, walking in from LIT and I passed the door that I my post and I had friends working there at the time and I said, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call in now. So I went in and asked, could I speak to the boss? <laughs> could I speak to the manager? And Billy Ryan was actually free and went down and sat down and I asked him for a job and told him that I had 
skills. <laughs> I guess I said, look, I've got computer skills. I'm really interested. Um, at that stage, I was tinkering with Photoshop and I was making websites. And it was, I mean, it was the 90s. Um, no, actually, that was 2000 at this stage. Again, look, I, this happens to me all the time. I've, but time flies with this stuff. It does, yeah, it does. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, trying to put it all together because it's so many different um so many different things have gone at the same time but um, I, I started working for him and then I went from the um, I guess computer um, PC world into Apple Mac and and then that led me down a different route I'd already been teaching myself Photoshop and so on but then I got much more into it so I was working in production in the Limerick Post for three years laying out ads laying out pages um, and then I started doing a bit of graph design on the side and uh, lo and behold a number of years later I ended up going back to college to do a degree in graphic design in Limerick School of Art and Design. So many so years later. And it's an incredible it's journey many because years it shows <laughs> your classic example of somebody who probably has a creative nature, um, probably doesn't and wouldn't want to stay in a regimented educational system where you have to do X, Y and Z. And you learned a lot over a period of 10, 15 years, brought that to the table and then were able to make a career of it. And I think, I I, think there's a side to it though as well. I wasn't allowed to art in school and um, my mother apologised to me later. But at the time it was perceived that, that you know, there's no work. Many years later she said, oh God, I'm so sorry, you know, it didn't let you do... Um, Art, but you know, she wasn't to know. She was you know, only bringing her own experience to it. But I guess maybe it was an itch that I had, I had yet to scratch. You know, maybe that's still there. I mean, I was always into fashion. I was always into creative expression. I suppose I'd found my ways of, uh, but I didn't get to pursue create creativity in that way until yeah, until I found graphic design. And you certainly were someone who also worked, you know, you had a prominent role in the sense that you were involved in things. You were involved still in the Limerick Post. You, you, you had your own page. And at what point, because, you know, I've known you from, well, since I've came home, I start to get, become aware of you. When you announced that you were running for the council, I was blown away because never in a million years did I think, <laughs> and it wasn't that I didn't think you could do the job. It was the fact that, you know, I saw you as a socialite who enjoyed life and I knew the politics probably would knock that one on the head. Um, at what point did that come into your sort of um, radar? Yeah, well, I guess, look, in my 20s, I definitely was um, someone who enjoyed a social life. Um, less so at this stage when, you know, children arrived and your life becomes something um, different. But look, I had never intended or I'd never aspired to pursue politics. But I was approached and asked. I said, no. You know, because well it's, yeah, it's, it's the, the most obvious answer. And then you start stewing about it a little bit. I mean, I'm from Cardavan. There had always been you know, representation in the council and the previous term there was none. So between 2014 and 2019, there was nobody from Cardavan in the council. Like my, so I, I ended up marrying a man who was also from Cardavan. My parents lived there and are growing older there. I'm raising a young family in that area. My husband's family are from there. My brothers raising a family there, my sister-in-law, you know, we have a lot of connections there. Um, so, so I already care, you know, the, mm. and when you've no representation, you do get forgotten about. And so you, you started to think, well, cause you start to seeing the problem, see the problems as well when you've aging parents and younger children and, and, and yourself and you start seeing the problems in your area a bit more. It's not like when you're in your twenties and going out in the town every night, you, you know, you don't really care much about the footpath, <laughs> but you know, you, you end up caring an awful lot more about these things. So I think I started asking myself, well, why not? And you know, so what if I haven't, if I don't come from politics or so what if I'm not a typical politician, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I could do it or maybe I could just, you know, 
actually get things done because we are being forgotten about because there's nobody you know from Cardavon um, in the in the council actually banging the drum for us I know there will be councillors now who say that they were representing the area so don't take offence but there was nobody from Cardavon actually um, you know looking out for the area in that way so that it's was what prompted me to, something to do that, something crazy like, like putting my name forward yeah and the first thing that I thought then you know and I mean this isn't a criticism of you or a criticism of anybody who represents areas of of the city but you know you particularly would have been very involved in the food thing you still are and we'll come to that in a while you're involved in the Pigtown Festival and you were brilliant with the, with a lot of the restaurants and very passionate about that whole indigenous thing the, the market food side did you ever feel that and, and this is a question about politics in general if you decide to represent an area which is just outside the city does it ever come to the point where you have to then think always about that specific area and kind of maybe lose the the the, the drive and energy for the city centre? The reason I ask you that is that I'm not finding at the moment that there's as much real energy from a political perspective across parties about that destination that we have in town. There's elements, and you are still involved, and I'm not saying you're, you, you just ditched it all and ran, but what I mean is that it doesn't seem to be as vibrant. And so therefore, when I see you being passionate about mm. Cardavan and mm-hmm. you know constantly out looking for things to happen and, and wanting more, you are representing You are, yeah. Cardavan. Well, you have to remember, I suppose, look... The the city centre isn't one electoral area of, of itself. You know, it's it's split into the areas of north, west, and east. Um, the cross in the city. So, would there be an argument to be made in time that the city boundaries actually you put a circle around the core city, and then a couple of semicircles around the external city, so that the core actually have representation? Well, you know what you need for that population. <laughs> And we'll get onto that yeah, in so a like little while. And it's really subjects. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that yeah. As a result of our population lack of density, we are underrepresented and therefore don't have the fight that maybe it deserves. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's probably different sides to that. So, yes, I am based in, in Cardavon. They are also, like the people who elected me, um, obviously, Cardavon, the Ennis Road area, is my, my main area. Um you're in there to, to do a job, you've been paid to, to do a job, you're elected by the people who voted for you. So if you were in in Castle Troy or in the other area and you voted for somebody in your local area as your local councillor and then they were spending all their time just on city work, now it might bother you completely, but if you needed something done, it might be a big problem for you. So there is a, a balance to be struck because mm. you do have to, I mean, there is a resident fixer role that comes with the role of a councillor, you, you know. Yeah. Um, there is. So... Like it's part of the job. And I suppose so again, where it comes from is something that I was looking at today, which was the concept of sprawl, right? And, you know, where I am living or where I grew up in Castle Troy, I'm seeing something else popping up and I'm seeing new planning applications. Mungrish, and I've spoken about this before, we're developing a new town there, basically. Um, this, the the Moiras, Cahardavan area with LIT at the core and this new UP, UPMC hospital, um, the question I'm going to ask, are we going to see more sprawl because of the lack of er, of residential um, expansion within the dense city centre that we need? I know, look, I've, I know this is a subject that you have, um, you're hugely passionate about and I've listened to a good few of the other, I really enjoyed the podcast, um, but it, we have to be realistic. You're right, look at where the planning applications are. Obviously, the planning applications are there for private developers, they're, they're they're putting in the applications 
for where they see the commercial opportunity. So you you have to ask the questions about does the commercial opportunity for those private guys exist in the city? And, and, then, they, and, and as a corollary yeah. of that, ask, you know, at the moment, the main property developer in town is a subdivision of the local authority in 2030 with the key sites there and, and slow development, slow pace. So you kind of wonder, are they holding off to, you know, say, well, look, why would we enter the market when the key sites are held by the local authority? And so I suppose I really worry about the density versus the yeah. suburban sprawl. I, some of them, well, I suppose it's, it's, the, it's, it's convincing, you know, are they convinced as well that people will buy if they build high-rise apartments in the city? But I certainly get a sense that the future, from a climate perspective and from a lifestyle perspective, you know, people's time is important, is that young people particularly in their first stage of their lives choose urban and retired people choose urban. Yeah, it is hard. It's such a hard one to try to figure out. I mean, I mean, I, I just take my own example. I did live in the city centre till I um, in my twenties, and I had all the lifestyle that came with that. Um, but then when it came to settling down, I chose to settle down in the suburbs. I know it was what I came from, so it was was what I knew. But still, I would choose to raise my family in the suburbs because uh, you know I live there's a green area in my state that kids can go out the door I'm in a cul de sac they go out the door and they can run onto the green area and they can have that kind of freedom. Um, we we need to. I, I guess we need to look at who we, who are we trying to um, locate in the city centre. Uh, are we if we're trying to bring families into the city centre? That's a whole other you know. And there will be families that want to live in the city centre. But there remember, are families there are, that are living, and yeah, it's but interesting. There are, but yeah. there are other communities that come here with that tradition. You know, we we come. A lot of us come from a different tradition, so it's going to take a bit of time. Certainly, when I was in my twenties, all I wanted to be was in the city, mm. um, and the lifestyle, as I said, that that comes with it. There's so many different sides to it. There's beautiful parts in our city that you'd love to live in. But I, I would see Clancy Strand as city centre. You know, maybe well, you don't is. see. Well, yeah. no, well, I would, and I say this to some people, I define my city centre as the riverfront from Clancy's O'Callaghan up to maybe the Wickham Street line and from maybe the Handball Alley in St. Mary's Park up to South Pub. So if you were to dry, draw a rectangle around that, you've got an urban centre that has got a medieval island and a... Newtown Perry, Georgian magnificence so you're divided by the Abbey River. And when you look at that and you look at the density, it's totally underlived in. I know it's very hard to see the pace of work. It's it's achingly slow. It's very difficult, isn't it? Uh, I, I mean, as as local residents, all of us find it very difficult. But even on a, you know, we're, as a local councillor, it's very frustrating to see how slow the pace is. Um, you know, you're representing Cahardavon and I know there'd be other people who would be representing the area that I grew up in, Castle Troy. There's now people representing Mungret. And because it's just easier to get things done, we're starting to see the city go outwards, sprawl out. And everything I'm reading at the moment is telling me that sprawl is absolutely mm -hmm. not the way forward. We made mistakes 50 years ago by taking four pockets of the city and deciding that we were going to place a socio-demographic group of people in one area with very little... And isolate them. And yeah. isolate them. And we saw what happened. And we ended up then having this regeneration project that you can question whether it's worked or not worked. But are we continuing to run the risk that what we'll do is just do more of that? Well, that's very... Yeah, look, I don't know. It's very difficult to know. I... 
if you talk to any of the auctioneers at the moment, they will tell you that people are banging their doors down looking for those three bedroom homes in the suburbs. It's very hard. That's what people, there are some, I'm not saying everyone. And again, I'm talking about kind of typical young family type uh, or, or couple starting out, which is a very typical customer, I suppose. Um, we, what we need to do is make it attractive enough to live in the city and have accommodation attractive enough in the city where people who are buying maybe or renting or, or looking to buy homes for the first time will want to choose the city um, because there isn't a lot of that at the moment. And I think, you know, you look at it and one of the things, fast, the most fascinating learning I've had from the last three years was um, watching Polish people, Filipino people, people from Eastern Europe and from further afield who live in apartments in town. Now, these would be apartments that probably weren't the best apartments at the time to be built because they've absolutely no public realm. They have no green space, but they use our waterfront at night in the evening time when it's dry and they use our parks in the summer. Oh, I've seen like it. A way yeah. I remember when the cricket started in people's amazing. park. It was just amazing to see it. Absolutely. People on the internet sitting on the benches on the quays using it. And that's urban to me. It's exciting. I remember mm. being in Berlin last year and going... This is crazy because urbanism is about just density, mm-hmm. just. And well, I think in a way, uh, I think communities, you know, communities, the new Irish, whatever you know, terminology you want to use, they're really going to teach us how to use our city in many ways because because the tradition isn't there. Go back to that again because we've come from a different way of thinking, but we need to relearn that. You know, and, and maybe we're know, go- maybe it's going to take um, other communities to teach us. I, I made a point to someone recently and said, you know, the Castle Troy Park playground, I don't know if you've, if you've seen it, but it's been recently invested in and uh, Mungret playground. These are all located in places where people probably have half an acre of back gardens. Now I jest on that, but large back gardens, large front gardens. Playgrounds are a hot topic with me because we have none in the uh, well, area. <laughs> I've been and banging the drum and fighting for When I saw three the years. funding allocation a couple of years back or last year about where the money was going, I saw Mungret and Castle Troy getting serious um, slice of the pie and then Clare Street in the city centre and the People's Park, not so much. Then I went out to look at them and they're like Disneyland. But yet you're catering for kids who have quite a lot going for them out there already. And I argued, imagine if that big funding had been given to People's Park and Clare Street and that those parks had become destinations for kids in Limerick, where every kid in every suburb said, I want to go to the People's Park or I want to go to Clare Street to play. Suddenly you're sending a message to say, actually, the suburb, the city is starting to become a better place to base yourself and to be able to enjoy yourself. But that's against the voting thing, isn't well, it? Well, if it's also, look, as a parent, I mean, I want my kids to have a, that amenity in the local area. And we don't like, so if you consider the Ennis Road and Cardavon area, the only playground in that area is in Shelburne Park. And Shelburne Park is supposed to cater for all the Ennis Road and Cardavon area, but it's, you know, it was primarily in there for the Maristone area and uh, and Farnshone and, and Thomagate. And so, you know, so if you consider all those areas, it's way oversubscribed. It's crazy. Um, and there shouldn't be that many people flocking to one small playground anyway. Um, Moy Ross, thankfully, is a new playground. St. Mary's Park got a new playground. But, but when you compare them to the others, they're absolutely... They're not, their, but they're they're not at the races. No, yeah, they're not they're, their local yeah. community playground. But at the same time, they have their place. I mean, the Moy Ross playground is great. I went down to see it with my kids and, you know, it's great, but the, it's in the community. So I don't want to bring, have to bring my kids to Mungret 
or to have to bring my kids even into the People's Park from mm. Cardavon. I want my playground to, I want my kids to be able to get on their scooters and go to the playground or for a cycle the corner. And, and that's fair. To if the playground. You, if, yeah. if, so it should if, be a local area amenity. 100%. Yeah. Castle Troy, Cardavon, Raheen, Mungret, they should all be self-contained. They're perfectly entitled to be self-contained. My mum should not have to come into town to do anything unless she chooses to make it, you know, to come in. The city itself should be a designated zone where people choose to live. And at the minute, it ain't happening because there just isn't the opportunity for people to do so. No, we need to get the... And, and, and you know, our beautiful Georgian heritage doesn't help that, unfortunately, because the money to do up those buildings, we've seen those flats can be in a pretty bad state in some of those Georgian buildings and it's so expensive to... We have to find a balance, don't we, of um, making sure that we don't lose any of those buildings. That's the fear, isn't it? If, if the people own the buildings can't put the money in to bring them up to standard, we don't want to see them fall down into nothing either. Um, I want to look at the food stuff because I know that that's pa- you're very passionate about it. And I, I, I was in Galway on Sunday and I went to a place called Allen, I think it's Allen, in um, Salt Hill. It's a little food truck that's hidden down behind the um, diving boards down in Salt Hill. And it's incredible, right? The, the little offer they do is amazing. Look them up on Instagram. But then we went in to the town and went to Marks and Spencer's and stocked up and went down for a coffee on Shop Street. It was like something I haven't seen in a long time. And I know the races were on. I know it's summertime and festivals. But the vibrancy and just the different types of human beings who were down in Galway. There was tourists, there was locals, but there was an, there was an, an aliveness to it. There was a life. And I came home envious, but I also came home with the question, you know, when I looked at the restaurants, this was where I was coming mm-hmm. to, so many indigenous local people who are making a name in the food scene, opening restaurants, opening businesses, opening pop-ups, opening um, little takeaway shops, Michelin star restaurants, we mm-hmm. know they have them, food things, all contained in a small Irish west of Ireland town. Yes. We ain't at the races in that well, regard. I tell you, what no, do we yeah, need well, look, Galway went from zero to zero. Galway wasn't always like that. So it went from it zero to quickly. hero very quickly. And it was just a couple of chefs. So you had um, JP McMahon that had Cava and I think Enda McFoy worked with him and he ended up opening Loam. And then JP McMahon opened a near, which is a Michelin restaurant. And Enda McFoy opened Loam, another Michelin restaurant. And then you had Jess, um, I, can't, I can't remember her surname. She's the chef that opened Kai. And those um, three names became huge names in the Irish food scene. And, and um, with that reputation then, um, Galway's, it just started rising. It's like that uh, thing. I mean, if, if I mean, I've gone to Galway just up for the food, gone up for, um, gone up for a night with my husband and we've just go up for the restaurants and because I'm into it. What do we need to do? If for 10 years, if I was back here sitting with you, we could say we got there. Well, you can't manufacture um, champions like that. Um, JP McMahon has become one of the biggest names in Irish food so like, so you can't manufacture that you need to find that or we need to nourish it or we need to support it or whatever it is um, to try and help those guys get off the ground if they're here there's very talented chefs um, in Limerick and just to see if they have that um, drive and that's what they want to do to try and now look I actually should before I say anything else there are brilliant chefs here and I'd be killed by the likes of the Wade Murphys and Tom Flavins and Keith Biggits and uh, Mike Tweedies and, and all these guys um, who are doing tremendous work and all the restaurants around the city but there is a buzz in Galway and it's very it's very cutting edge what they're doing with food and they are seen as a leader um, in the Irish food scene so you can't deny that there's something that's going on there that they're tapping into. And, and in no way would I want to mimic and people say, oh, stop trying to be Galway. But, you know, I looked at it and I just thought, I mean, for instance, 
at the moment, I the area that I'm living in at the minute, and I'm sort of down on the island, King's Island, but you've got the Kurigawar, then you've got JJ Bowles, and then you have um, that interesting Jack Mondays that's on the corner. Then you go across the bridge, you now got um, Katie Daly's, which has opened up. You've got the castle across the road, then you've got Treaty Brewery, and then you have a street that just doesn't have anything, but it's very, very small, and it's narrow, and it's pedestrianised almost. And I've often thought if we were to just use food and craft and colour as the core driver of that street, we could really create something interesting from a tourism and a local perspective. You would be saying at night, where are you going tonight? I'm going to go up to the island quarter. I know, and Nicholas Street is such a beautiful street and should be a destination street. And um, I hear lots of different um, discussion around Nicholas Street at the moment. And actually, I heard someone recently talk about the gentrification of Nicholas Street and they were speaking about it in a, not in a positive way and I didn't like that because I don't that's not what it's about the regeneration of the street doesn't you know shouldn't be spoken about I think in terms of I think of it's a big argument to be made in Limerick at the moment about the concept of gentrification what it means Look I just think the potential in Nicholas Street is huge I and mean, we talk about it but we it's very difficult um, there's obviously a lot of traditional businesses there that are there a very long time Um it's hard to, a lot of people have different visions as well. And it's hard to find a singular vision that everybody is happy with. Um, we, we can't deny it's the street that connects, uh, you know, it's the street leading to King John's Castle, which is the, it's, you know, which is our primary tourism um, asset in the city. Um, St. Mary's Cathedral is at the other side of it. We can't deny that this is a hugely important street in terms of tourism. And we have to keep the focus on that. We had a lot of debate about that in the council um, a couple of months back, just because of a, a property there on Mary Street, the old Garda station. But the it, it like it's it's difficult because you are talking about a, a street in, in the heart of a community. And I don't have to tell you about you know the, mm. the community down St Mary's. I just often wonder with the investment. You know, I mean, they did invest in the castle, and you know, I look at the area in front, and I just wonder. I, I just I remember being involved in meetings about Nicholas Street. 15 years ago and then seven years ago and it was always we're going to create a brand and we're going to create an image it's never come to pass and you have to ask are we just a place that can't do it well i don't know i'm 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 a i'm an optimist and i'm a, a, a positive person i guess so i'm never going to but, but i suppose, <laughs> I'm never I suppose going to olivia the question that, that i would we, we, we can't but we can't ever um Give up. Give up. Not yeah, a but there has no. to do, come a time when people in Limerick maybe turn around and say, lads, we are talking about things for so long. At what point do you call it and say, well, I suppose we can't because nothing's going to happen anyway? I think you have to keep pushing and yeah. you have to keep pushing the decision makers. And I know that involves me in some instances, but not all of them. Um, we we need to, I suppose the businesses need to decide where they're going to go with it as well, what they want to happen on that street. Um, mm. Because we can't, we can't force things on top of, you know, businesses that are in that street in for that length already. of time, but yep. they need to be, uh, come along with the process and they need to be part of the process. Mm. And that can cause... That can cause a lot of problems. We've seen a lot of controversies flare up over the last couple of years because the, um, whether it's the council or, or, or whether whatever groups try to land something on top of a street and not take into account all other businesses in Existing that area. Like everybody has to move in the same there direction. Was a meeting, with it. There was a meeting recently that I attended and um, I noticed something that 
maybe having stood outside it for a long time. I used to work with traders in the city centre and, and one thing I did with the Chamber of Commerce, I may not have achieved much, but I the biggest achievement of my life with that, I got to know nearly every trader in town and I was able to walk into a shop even if they were busy and go behind the counter and chat to them and get to know what was happening, where their worries were, what the, you know, what the issues of the day were. But I often found at the time that, you know, it was car parking. It was, uh, we need more guards on the street. It was, you know, we need to pay for a few buskers to come in on a Saturday. Very sort of small things that I never thought were visionary. Now at that meeting I was at recently, there was a table of retailers. I didn't know them. But I got very quickly cottoned on that they were retailers. Their ideas that they were bringing to the table that day were identical to what I was listening to 10 years ago, despite the fact that we now know that maybe retail ain't going to be the core driver into the future. And we therefore have to think about a city as experiential. And when traders like that who pay rates, and I understand they pay rates, when they have the ability to sort of pull things down because they're afraid of change and they're afraid of just maybe doing things differently, we'll always be held back if they are the voice that has the most power. Yeah, but look, uh, I think you have to give people in those situations their due respect. It is so difficult to run a business with all the challenges they've faced over the last number of years. I will always give respect to anyone that's managed to keep their doors open. Um and they always deserve to be listened to. They do pay their rates. They are providing whatever service, whatever business they're in, they are providing that for uh, for us as citizens, as residents. Um, it can be very difficult when you're in your... I mean, I've been self-employed. I've worked for... Most of my career has been working for... I know we touched on some of it, but most of it has been working for independent Limerick businesses. So Limerick-owned companies or mm -hmm. businesses. And it's very hard to be... Um, working on a greater vision when you're trying to when you're trying to just keep your business running week to week um, or deal with the latest I don't know like I, I mean I worked in the restaurant industry for two years with Corn Store uh, mm -hmm. Restaurant Group so I was their PR marketing manager but you know we're, we're dealing with the day-to-day -day business of the restaurant we're dealing with um, the different seasons that are going to be coming up with the different so it's it shouldn't really be on the traders to have that vision but it should be on the council to work with them for a, for a vision, don't you think? Like, I mean, the council has a role to play there in leading and whether it's, I mean, there are so many different examples in so many different cities of things that have tried and failed or things that have tried and worked and successes. And there's no reason why um, the council can't organise traders groups to go and visit other cities, to go over to UK city, to see things that have worked, to look at things that have been trialled. And I suppose I mean, what, what they will probably find that, though, Olivia, that, that is that, that, the, role, that the successful places that they will visit will be dense places full of people. Because business is changing, the world has changed, COVID has moved things on really quickly, but I mean, internet shopping was a thing before COVID. It's just online shopping is just far more dominant now as a result. Um, we can't deny the world is changing and, and mm. we don't want Limerick to stagnate. And I don't think, in all honesty, any of those traders... Uh, want the, the city to stagnate. You know, they're all battling to keep... They, I yours? mean, they've worked so hard to keep those... There's businesses in town that are working, open so many years. I mean, the, the amount of hard work that goes into that, you know, I'd never, I'd never yeah, take that from anyone. The idea that we are going to rely and need to continue to rely on the vehicle to come in to spend money in town is nuts when we know the answer really is filling up. Yeah, and um, I lived in um, a flat on Thomas Street in the mid-90s. I lived around the, the city in different areas and certainly um, 
yeah, it, it, that it's, it's a very obvious picture to me because there was a lot more people, I think, living in the city at the time. I could be wrong, but it felt like there was a lot more people living there. And I actually know people who lived in flats and all those because you, you'd know people around town and um, would have been in a lot of them in various apartments. They were called flats at the time because apartment was a fancier title. But uh, the... Um, and yeah. Google Maps is an interesting one because if you go into the backs of those from the air, you realise there's quite a lot of space space there where you could fill and I'm watching a lot of architecture at the moment where they're taking little narrow strips and filling upwards you oh, know yeah. and that excites me that is uh, interesting I told you that when I was in um, New York in, in March I went to um, the Brooklyn planning department took us on a tour um, and it was a really interesting urban planning tour of a walking tour of Brooklyn they were discussing the planning um, and I was discussing this with some others over there as well and they were talking about air rights which is something we've never I've never heard discussed before. It was new to me. It's basically the air, the the air above your building, and who owns the air rights? And it's a huge thing in New York, but obviously because they build up all the time, so the so the air rights above a building will be of huge value. Mm. And I wonder, is it something that we will start talking about in time? You would wonder, wouldn't you? Yeah, and I suppose become... the final, you know, we're here up off Edward Street, and the other day I was walking up and I looked, and if you look at Edward Street from sort of People's Park up towards the army barracks there's this old street where there was a pub and still a pub open by the way there but if you look at all the buildings it reminded me a little bit like the center of an of a suburban village and then if you look at Thoman gate it's almost identical interesting if you look down where um where uh, willie sexton's pub is there's starting to be a bit of movement there all these little pockets have the potential if filled with people to create little neighbourhoods of their own and then they're linked then by Joseph Street and Wolftone Street and up on the island they're linked down by all the Peter Streets. So I, I can see it. I just really worry why it's not happening. Posterity podcast, right? So I always say this to the guests. Um, when we're old and grey and starting to fade and looking back and if you're still in politics and maybe you've gone on to be elected a TD or even, even gone further... What would you like to have seen happen? And I always talk about the city and I know that the suburbs and I totally accept you represent a suburb, but also as someone with a with a, an understanding of... Oh, well, I represent all of Limerick yes. City North. Well, there you go. You know, yeah. I mean, I come from where I come yeah. from. What are the couple of things that you think you would be proud of to look back on as a legacy when we're about to pop our clogs? Well, I think, look, I, I mean, I was elected as a mother of young children. And so I, I bring that with me in the role. And um, I, I have to, I would have to look back in terms of the, the limerick that my kids have in comparison to the limerick that was there and and hope <laughs> and hope that some of the projects, I guess, that went, that were put on, um, that, uh, that we signed off on in, my, in whatever length of time I was in politics, um, where it came to fruition and made their lives better and made their the city that they were in and I hope they'll still be in the city. This is the thing, you know, I mean, um, it is interesting to to bring that with you to try I try and keep that with me. Um, you know, you're you're elected as a mother of young kids, try and, and I guess when it comes to decision making, try and keep that with me that it's their limerick that we're that we're you know, when it comes to planning um decisions that we've to make and so on. That it's not all about it. Can't you can get pulled in so many different directions in this role, um, and you can get pulled into other people's agendas. And you, you, you know, you, trying to hold firm can be very difficult at times. But I try to wear that uh, hat. I'm a mom. I'm here. People have voted me in for that reason. 
because I heard it on doorsteps, we need more young, well, it's lovely being called young when you're, when you're running for election, but we need more young people, we need more new people, we need more people, mothers with young children and all that. So I, I bring that with me and I want their Limerick to be something better. I mean, I loved, I grew up loving my city. As I said, went to the city every weekend. Um, it was the thing, we went to town on a Saturday. I don't know, were you the same? But we went to town on a Saturday and that was the biggest thing in your week. And uh, I want my kids to have that love and that passion for their city. Do you, that do you I have ever as a see result a day when that? The, that your kids would, you know, that you would look and say, my God, my kids from the age of 20 have actually seen the city centre as the place they are living and will live and continue to live right to the day they die. Yeah, that's very possible. And I'd hope that it will be an attractive place to be on their 20s. As I said, you know, when you're in that age and you're very social and the city can, is, the, is the place to be. And I, I do think that there's going to be much more interesting uh, accommodation options by the time they come around. I'm going to be very hopeful, Nigel, and <laughs> in the same way. But Well, I'm hopeful too. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just, it's just, there's no doubt it'll happen. Absolutely. In fact, I it think that they're going, they're, they'll, they'll be forced to make it happen. It's just the Pace the pace the of it is frustratingly slow. And I slow. know people will give out to me. It's the only worry I have is that we will end up... I looked at Galway, and you know the way we argue about this Ireland's third city or Ireland's second city? Looking at Galway the other day, I'd have gone, in terms of a livable, breathable, funky-looking space that probably has transport issues... It's yeah, well, look, there. look, I was in Galway as well on Sunday. That's very coincidental, but I was up there um, to see a great gig, a gig in on, on Tyviark. It's Tyviark, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Shiva was playing there and Limerick musician Brian O'Brien, who's my brother-in-law. Brother was back. Yes, back yeah. from Canada and his first performance. So we went up to see him and we ate on Middle Street and went to Cava and um, sat outside. And like that, was looking at the buzz around the place. Now, I... I will always say, like, Limerick is such a beautiful city, like the grandeur of the Shannon and our bridges. And I'm from the north side, we're, you know, from that side of the, the river. We're very, I feel the people living on that side are very connected. We cross the bridges all the time to come into the city. Um, so I feel there's a very strong connection with the city um, as a result. But um, I don't think we can ever emulate that. And I will always say, I think we have such a beautiful city, our architecture, mm if we can hold on to as much of it as possible uh, in the Georgian court. But um, we don't have that traditional tourism that they would have had long before us. I know there was busloads coming and going to... Um, the races. To, and, well, and, yeah. and to Bunratty, yeah. which is part of Limerick's tourism offering. But we don't. And I mean, I've been critical of this at council level, but the um, for years... Uh, and I now sit on the Discover Limerick DAC, the new um, Limerick um, tourism... Well, it's, it's, uh, it's for operating tourism attractions specifically. But... For years, Limerick didn't work on its tourism and the, and the council, the, the council, and I used to work in tourism and hospitality, so I heard a lot of this and I witnessed a lot of it, but it, it was, the council left it to fall to Ireland and fall to Ireland didn't do anything. So nobody really did anything. And there was none, I mean, three years ago when that campaign um, came out from the council, it was the first time the council had ran a tourism campaign for Limerick ever, ever. And now we've the third one this summer, but that has never been done. So if you think about our legacy with tourism, we haven't worked on our on our tourism. We've we really we really don't have that tradition here. Mm. I know we're not a coastal city, and it's you know we haven't been seen as a destination, but we don't have that tradition. Um, people flock to the west to Galway traditionally, yeah. and they have done for yeah. summers, and they have done for the races, and they do for the arts festival. And no, we don't have that, but we have to work so hard on our tourism now because we have a huge offering. We've never had as much of a tourism offering as we have now. It's incredible the way it's blossoming. Look at the Greenway. Look at, I mean, and the, the work is being done to connect that further to Kerry and then back in towards the city and then take it out to Clare. And there's huge potential around that. So we actually 
our, our, our tourism potential is growing and growing all the time mm. um, and we have to harness we, we are harnessing it that, now much yeah. better than we've ever done and we have to be really positive about that we have not done that in, in comparison to Galway I argue if there's people living here people visit here because it feels alive when there's people living here they're spending money when people are visiting they're spending money and as a result that's where the economic thing kicks but in it's and also, someone chooses to open because I was thinking the same thing opening businesses because you need like exactly that kind of a tourism industry can sustain businesses like the restaurant businesses we're talking about and it's very difficult to sustain them in a city if you don't have those tourism numbers um, or living numbers uh, or living numbers yeah. and then people traditionally leave and go to the west coast for a couple of months in the year you know so we have to try and figure it out but we i definitely think that we're we're on the cusp of something great when it comes to tourism our hotels are you know are, are fantastic i know that they've had a really hard time during covid um and but hopefully things are turning around look yeah. uh, the cost of living crisis is going to be very difficult for them too but there's great opportunity coming on with tourism and i hope we're going to completely take advantage of that because it's prime to do it now and it's and we're in the you know oh, and speaking we're this morning, in the right direction the rider club yeah. 2027 you know i i often think if we could aim for 2027 as being a key drive date for quite a lot in the city and i mean really push on delivery on a lot of different I things i think we will i think Good. look it's one thing that would focus all the agencies it's not just about you and me talking about it. it's mm. all the agencies involved who'll be focused I mean look they're talking now about that Foynes mm. train I mean well, the tenders have, out, yeah. exactly so yeah. that could that could happen very soon we could have you know passenger rail to well to Adair closer to Adair but you know the potential is there and something like the Ryder Cup really will put the fire under key decision makers higher than my pay grade um, <laughs> to get so. things done <laughs> listen Olivia and we could talk all day and you know what's really interesting I find in this podcast, we haven't even brought up the issue. Oh, you know, I'm a female politician, and you oh, know, know. And what's lovely is that I didn't think for a moment about that. Um, and maybe that's a sign that that sort of. And I know it does need to be discussed, and I will, <laughs> I will debate it. But isn't it nice that you can have a discussion and that sort of doesn't come to the fore immediately? It's, oh yeah, well, it doesn't. Look, to be fair, I think in um, in the metropolitan area, because we can talk about that now, because we're here in that context, because uh, we're so used to in a council context, you have to mention the city and county all the time, and that's fair enough. We're one joint authority, but we can just. Focus focus on the metro here we are quite diverse you know we have seven um, female councillors out of 21 um 33.3 so we're getting there you know in in terms of better representation we also have um a member from uh, bangladesh a member from moldova a member from is it oh i'm gonna get the country wrong lithuania mm. um we have an lgbt mm. yeah yeah member so i mean we have a very diverse uh, council in the metropolitan area and quite proud of that but we should have you know mm. we're the third largest city we should be progressive council and we should have that representation i guess what's most important in me in this role is that it is a female and there has been three in this council term which is very significant but before that um the Cahirlock role before we changed titles was the mayor of Limerick City and previous to that like, there hasn't been that many women wearing that title um and I'm the only the eighth ever and you're talking about over eight hundred over eight hundred yeah. years. So I will not, you know, take that lightly. That is a huge honor. It's also hugely important that we keep making sure that that's being addressed, that those numbers become less relevant. They, and by the way, we'll Pig Town Festival. Do you want to just do you want to just talk to people just a little bit about what Pig Town is and when it's happening? Okay. And um, well, Pig Town is um, a culture and food series. Um, it's a festival that's going to run over three weeks. It happens in Sept around the September October time every year. Um, this year it's ha starting on the seventeenth of September, and uh, all going well. It's a voluntary committee working very hard to pull it together at the moment, but. Um, 
the um, yeah, it's actually the sixth year we've managed to have it since 2017 and actually managed to have it during COVID and very understanding people because events had to pivot and um, the festival program had to pivot and then we had to cancel events that were set up and so on. But we managed to have a festival during the COVID years. So now we're trying to come back um, in full flight, hopefully this year, but we'll have our uh, Cultural Night Pigtown Parade back in the city, which we haven't had for the last couple of years. There'll be a lot of themed dining events. Um, there are a couple of other events that are trying to put, we'll try to get over the line at the moment. So I can't say, I uh, can't announce any yet. But look, um, pigtown.ie will be updated very soon. <laughs> and in fairness to you, you have been a driver of that. And it's exactly what we were talking earlier on. It's trying to be the leader to, you know, help an industry that, you know, does need a little bit of life injected into it. Well, that's it. There's lo- loads of great people in the food industry doing great things, um, but extremely busy in what they're doing. So we're trying to exactly tie them all together and shine a spotlight on it. It's very focused on local producers um, and trying to, I guess, trying to promote local producers, let people see that there's a lot of this on our doorstep that we don't realise and um, we are very lucky we have the milk market there we have um, neighbour food we have the urban co-op and things like that that help get um, get uh, local produce into your hands but um, we need to keep singing about it and reminding people about it um, and Big Time is always very focused on that but we have a cultural element as well and we've always had a few interesting um, um, events and tie-ins yeah. and we're very open-minded there's always Lumen Theatre or, or Street Theatre are always in there with us as well and hopefully they'll do you know um, Kids Mask making demo for us again this year and they always help us um, with some interesting things for our parade and so on so look uh, the yeah the full listing will be coming out soon and I know that um, there's a Pick Town the Plays coming up soon as well so, so I'm allowed to mention to, that I'd be uh, forced to have a guest <laughs> um, on that yeah well that's another day listen to me um, best of luck I know you're already a month in probably but best of luck for the year and um, it's good to see you it's good to see someone with passion um, and I just hope that, as you said, a lot of the stuff that we are trying to push, we can get done and sooner rather than later. So Olivia Sullivan, Cahirlock of Limerick Metropolitan District. Um, thanks for being a guest. Thanks, Nigel. You've been listening to the Posterity Podcast with me, Nigel Dugdale, produced by the Limerick Post in association with Limerick City Community Radio. Theme tune composed by David Blake and performed by the Brad Pitt Light Orchestra. If you want to get in touch with me or suggest any future guests, you can contact me directly on Twitter at Limerick City Biz or you can contact the Limerick Post at Limerick Post.